So it is. So um, uh, can I just pray for you and then... Okay, and then I'll hand this over. Yeah, okay, great. Um, Lord Jesus, I want to pray for Sarah now, Lord, that you would um, speak through her to our hearts, Lord Jesus, this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray that, um, Lord, I pray that there would be a freshness that we all get to receive this morning, Lord, like we've heard it for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, I just want to, are, the, are these monitors at the front working or are they not? They're not. Then I will need this chair moving so I can see the screen as well. Kind of sideways. Marvellous. Like yeah, that'll do. I guess, probably. Like this. Yeah. Like this. Thanks. Just check that it's the right side. I'm not sure this is my good side, if I have a good side. You, but they're both good sides. So it's the see. side that you get, all right? Oh. Yeah, that'll do. It's all good. I haven't sat sat here, I haven't sat or stood here for a very long time. It's quite exciting. Thank you, Malcolm. You're very kind. Right then, as Rachel said, we are looking this morning at a passage in Colossians 15 to 27. And in your Bibles, you will find it is called the preeminence of Christ. Oh, this is going to be awkward. Can we have Coralie's light on, please? <laughs> she needs a spotlight. She's far more exciting than me. <laughs> now you can't see me. <laughs> Coralie, you get one or t'other, babe. <laughs> oh, this morning's exciting. Right then. <laughs> Let's read our scripture. Okay. Um, so, as you can already see, there are images that I'm hoping will help us, um, us who are of a more visual nature rather than an auditory hearing nature, maybe learn a little bit more. We'll see. So, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have full supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness 
I know where I'm clicking. <laughs> Dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As Rachel said, this is an amazing scripture. This is the truth. This, to be honest, is a stand up and pace around and get very excited scripture. But what you get today is me sitting down, getting very excited scripture. For the majority of this week, I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's a privilege to teach because what you find is that you get given these chunks of scripture and you have to read them and then you have to read them and then you have to read them some more and then you have to study them and then you go, really, do you think it means that? And then you read them again because you go, surely they must have got, whoa, they're barking up some tree I haven't seen. And then you read them some more and they start to affect you. And this is what scripture is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to bring life. It's that living word of God that gets inside you and twists and turns and changes and lops bits off and goes, no, this is the way, this is the way, because it's true. And for the majority of this week, 
oh, these words have been life to me. I mean, anybody saw me on Thursday night, you'd go, oh, did someone heal her? No, no, but the words of Christ in me were doing this beautiful, beautiful thing. Yesterday, however, I felt like I had been run over by a bus, and I felt nothing, apart from vaguely present in a room, vaguely. I was exhausted, I was unable to focus. Yeah, and when you're trying to write an inspiring and uplifting talk, that's probably not the best way to be. But the thing is, the scripture's still true. Because it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter today if you're sat there going, she's telling me, Rachel's telling me, Sarah's telling me, these are the best words ever in the Bible, not getting it. Well, hopefully we'll get there by the end of this morning. But it doesn't matter how you feel, the words are true. This is the big picture. Now you and I have a little picture. I have a little picture. Sometimes I get it out and I have a little pity party with it. It's my life, yeah? My circumstances, the issues that go on. And sometimes we take out a little picture and we hold it here. And you know what? It's the only thing that we can see. But this, this is the big picture into which if and when you gave your life to Christ, you have set your feet. This is the truth. And we need this morning, I need this morning, as much as anyone else in this room, to take my little picture and hold it higher. Because if I see the big picture, my little picture, well, it doesn't become such a stressful, difficult thing, does it? When I put my life and my circumstances into the hands, into the heart of the truth that is Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected for me so that I may come, become holy, without blemish, and free from accusation in his sight. So that we can be transformed and change the world. It's a beautiful thing. So, my prayer for this, this morning has been that we are impacted by the scripture. In our heads if that's where you get impacted, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our souls, in our subconsciouses, that it starts to change us a bit more or renew us and revive us so that we can take this next journey that God is leading us on in this big river where we let go of the rocks we're gripping onto for dear life or the bank that we don't want to let go of and be free because we know what is true and how much it is that God has done for us and how much he loves us and be joyful in the midst of it. So we're going to take another walk through our scripture and our pictures that I'm hoping will be more interesting than some people's phones but you know, whatever. Um, For those listening online, I need to say that if you are listening to the talk from here, it would be good to start clicking through the pictures because then the talk might make slightly more sense. Colossians 1, 15 to 27 begins. The sun 
is the image of the invisible God. So, way back in the Old Testament, when Moses speaks with God, God says to him that if he sees his face, he will die. The image of God for Moses was way too much. And Moses was the one, he was the chosen one. He was the best of the best, I don't know, the, the biggest and the brightest star in the Jewish nation at that time. But only he could see his back. Even he could only see his back. God's more than we can imagine. He's spirit. He is enormity. But he always wanted to return to the point where he could walk and talk with us like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. We sinned, and we're no longer able to look upon God's face. So God found a way, and he found that way in Jesus, the image of the invisible God. When we think of the invisible, the wind, electricity, the air we breathe, they aren't tangible. We can understand them, we can harness them, but they will always remain something other. We feel the effect, they are normal in our lives, but their absence causes chaos. No wind, my kite-surfing husband might die or something terrible. It would be a bad day when there's no wind. It is a bad day when there's no wind, when he goes to the beach and comes home and there is no wind. It is, it's a bad day. No electricity, we have no light. Worse still, we have no internet. I don't know, some of us may not care. Others of us might. No air, we do not breathe. There is no life. God is spirit. We cannot see him in the physical but we know his presence and his effects. But through Jesus, we know his personality, his love, his face. Because God found a way. Jesus is the firstborn. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. You and I. I find that quite a mind-blowing thought. That you and I and every other Christian that has lived and will live, we are the brothers and sisters of Christ. We are adopted into God's family, joint heirs with Christ, Scripture tells us. We are part of his family. This God who reigns over all creation. Through Jesus, all things were made. And he cares about the earth and how we take care of it. It's not just us he loves. We may be the pinnacle of his creation, but he loves every part. Every part is important, and so it should be important to us. Jesus came as a man that we might see God. It's a hard truth to understand that he is fully God and fully man, yet he distilled himself so we could begin to understand but again, we must not forget that all life, all complexity, all the intricate balance of the universe was created in him. Everything in heaven, in the spiritual realms and in the physical heavens, everything and everything here on earth 
all the things we can taste and see and smell and hear and touch, everything. The visible, physical, tangible world. And the invisible. When I was looking for pictures, these two pictures, they, they struck me. That he made us two. In our beautiful, shining moments, when we see clearly and know the way, when the world is a good place, and those, and we know that God is good and that we are made in his image, in those moments, but also in the hard parts, when we suffer and feel shame, and when we actually feel totally invisible to God. But it doesn't matter how we feel, it doesn't matter. God sees us, God made us, God loves us. And there's room for all of us. In our smallness, or in the bigness of the world. Apparently the Queen, reliable sources tell me, refused to sit on the Iron Throne because um, of protocol. You're not allowed to sit on someone else's throne. We need to understand that whatever we think is the biggest, royalty, TV royalty, whether you were happy with who sat on the throne at the end of the Game of Thrones season, or probably not, because I don't think anyone was. I, I didn't even see it, and I don't think anybody was. Everything, everything is subject to him, and nothing came into being without him. All rulers, all powers, I had to put a Marvel clip in there somewhere. It's just a picture, sorry. All rulers, powers, rulers, cute. But whoever we follow, all authorities, all authority, as that say, are subject to him. Everything was created through him. Not our bad decisions or actions, but our lives, our hopes, Goodness itself, all these things have been created through him. He is the creator. He is the creator. And ultimately, all these things have been created for him. We live to worship, to honor him, to become like him. Everything we have is his. And because of his great love for us, we give it back to him. And watch him do amazing things with it. Jesus is before all things. First, number one, creator, initiator. He's also the sustainer. He holds it all together. We may understand a lot about the universe. Science has brought us a huge way. But Jesus is still the artist weaving his magnificent design. Jesus is the head. He is our master. And when we call him master, we give him his rightful place. We use the word Lord a lot when we pray. Lord is a, a throwback, an archaic word. We don't really have lords and ladies, and do we? We don't have those now. But he's our master. He is supreme. We call the queen her majesty or her royal highness. But our Lord, our 
God is greater. He's the head. And yet, and yet, he chooses to have us. Some random, ragtag band of broken, beautiful, gorgeous, not-so-gorgeous people. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and on earth at this time, you and I, you and I, are the reflection, the image of Christ, the image of Christ in a broken world. He's the beginning, the beginning of creation and the beginning of new life in us. He is the big picture that steps down out of the heavens into our little pictures. Because of him, because of the resurrection, he is the firstborn from the dead. Oh, and because that, you and I have hope, not just for now, but for forever. He goes ahead of us so we can live now in resurrection power and die safe in the knowledge that it is not the end. For there should be no fear in death for us. A door will open and we enter another room into a place where there, is, there, are, there are no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. He lived and died and rose again that over everything, over all the connectedness of our internet setup, everybody knows everything about everybody else world, where everything is connected, that he might have the supremacy. God is Lord of all. As we sing those words, whenever we sing those words, we need to believe it. And this morning we need to let this passage sink into our hearts. Because when we truly know him as Lord of all, as supreme, it changes things. When we truly know him as our master and as our friend, things change inside of us. And as we change, we reflect his face. We become the image of the invisible God and we change this world. He is truly awesome. But the passage doesn't stop. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Pleased. He wants us to know him. He is pleased to give us Jesus. He wanted this to happen so that he could come and know us. The big, awesome, unknowable look at my face and you will die, God, came down and poured the oceans of himself into a baby and watched him grow. And through that child, who grew into the Jesus we know, reconciled all things to himself. Reconcile. We know a lot about that word, don't we? We're starting a reconciliation course. We are Promoting it is what the Archbishop says we're here to do. It's bringing peace between people. It's bringing those who were estranged, those who were far from each other, back together. God wanted to reconcile everything to himself so that he could have a relationship with us. There are so many relationships here on earth that need to be reconciled. There is so much of nature 
that needs to be reconciled, brought back into line with the way God wants it. When things went bad in the Garden of Eden, when as human beings we strayed from the path, we chose independence rather than submission. It's interesting that partly that's what we think God is trying to look at in us at the moment with the prophetic words that we should not be independent, not be doing things our way, but submitting to what he wants. We, when we choose ways that are at odds with God, things are difficult. Stuff happens. So when God came up with a plan to end centuries of estrangement between man and God, where things were not easy with us, through Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, now we have peace. Now we can see his face. Through Jesus, we are reconciled to God, and God uses us as his agents of reconciliation in this world to make things right, to bring peace to the world and all those living in it. Jesus brings this peace because he was willing to make the ultimate submission to God. He willingly gave up his life to die the most horrific death that man had invented at the time. Through his blood that was spilt, his life was given. And we are set free into a relationship with the God who created the universe. Some of us have been Christians a long time. <laughs> Some of us, it feels like our whole lives. But at some point, all of us had to make a choice to accept Jesus as the Lord, as the master, as the savior of our lives. He has saved us from so many things so that we can be so much more. No longer strangers, but friends. No longer bound by our past, but living more and more fully in the hope for the future, and living more and more fully in the now, in the present, in the here and now. If we believe in Jesus, we are no longer alienated from God. End of truth. You believe in Jesus, you are no longer alienated from God. You were enemies, you were enemies in your mind, but you are no longer. Your evil behavior did separate you from God, but it no longer does. So why do we often behave like it does? Why do we behave like we are still alienated from God? Why do we believe that the things we do separate us? We live in forgiveness. We say, I'm sorry. God says, I forgive. The truth says, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And now, you and me are holy in his sight. Anybody feeling holy this morning? Amen, because the truth says you 
are. These words, they do, you read them and you go, oh, oh. But you look at them and you go, this is the truth. Why do we all believe the opposite? <laughs> it's crazy. You and me are holy in his sight. You and me have no blemishes. You are not stained. You are not covered in shame. You are not dirty. You are clean in God's sight. Everything you think that will keep you from God, he cannot see. Nor does he accuse you. If your image of God is of somebody in the heavens with a big pointy finger that's not giving you lotto millions or something, I don't know. If that's your opinion of God, well, it's crazy because God does not point out your guilt. God does not point out your fears. And all the things that you think make you unworthy, well, Jesus came, he lived, he died, you accepted him, all those things on the cross. Yeah, okay, do something today. We say sorry, it's okay. But we're wrong. I say we're wrong. I believe we are wrong. I believe I am just as wrong as you, you, you are because some days I don't feel like I'm holy in God's sight. Some days I feel grubby. Some days I feel like God might be a bit cross with me. But I am holy without blemish and free from accusation in God's sight. You are holy without blemish, free from accusation in God's sight. All that he asks is that we stay on the path. Now, the path might be covered in snow and not covered in daisies and flowers and joy and happiness, but we stay on the path. We continue in our faith. We grow become established and firm. The oaks of righteousness that Isaiah 61 talks about, unshaken, firm, not moving. Under any circumstances, these guys aren't supposed to move. And we are not supposed to move from the truth that is in these scriptures. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the fact that we are holy and without blemish and free from accusation. We need to keep our eyes on the truth that because of everything Jesus has done, we have freedom. And then we keep our eyes fixed on the hope held out before us. Jesus is the hope held out before us. If we take our little pictures and we hold them just where that baby is, in front of the big picture, our little pictures become very small and quite insignificant, even though they hurt sometimes. But we can see their place in a plan that is big and huge and so much more than we are. I know every time it feels like I sit here, I bang on about the transformative, transformative oh, I, I used a long word, Coralie, sorry. Um, you know, the power of the Bible. It's not a sexy thing to talk about, I know. But the Word of God is full of life and it changes our lives. 
And if you're not reading it, well, then you're not being transformed by it. Or listening to it, or podcasting it, or whatever it is everyone else does. I like books. Um, you know, if you're not reading it, it's not transforming your life. Now, God doesn't accuse you. He doesn't say, oh, Sarah, you haven't read your Bible in the last month. You are a terrible human being. Because we are free from accusation, actually. I remember I heard that somewhere. But I know that if I'm not reading my Bible, I am not giving it the opportunity to change my life. There's potential, there's possibility there that I am denying myself, mostly because I'm a Muppet. Because there's nobody telling me not to read the Bible other than a million distractions in my world, yeah? Same for all of us. But the Bible, Scripture, changes our lives. Where are we? Here. This, this. So when you came to Christ, this, these words, this scripture, this is the good news that you heard. Yeah? Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. He took our sins. We are free. We are holy. We are blameless in his sight. This, this here, that's the gospel. We stay on these paths and we live amazing lives. And he preached the good news to the whole world, to everything, under all creation, all creatures under heaven. The, the good news is supposed to be good for us. It's supposed to be good for the guys in Mozambique. It's supposed to be good for the planet because we are supposed to be good for the planet, yeah? It's preached to everyone because through us, everything is impacted. Paul wrote these words, what? 2,000 years ago. And we follow in his footsteps. The next bit of passage, oh my word, so many thoughts, so many people. This is what I have distilled it down to. Sorry that I'm not going to have a deep theological conversation with you right now about what these words mean. No, I'm not sorry at all. I take that back. Paul was a servant living 2,000 years ago, and we follow in his footsteps. Loving and serving because God is good and Jesus reigns supreme. As Malcolm told us last week, Paul was in prison at this time, suffering for telling people about Jesus. In his circumstances, well, he was in prison. I'm imagining not the nicest, friendliest, easiest of circumstances. But he chose to rejoice. Rejoice in what he was suffering for the church. He did not look at his circumstances, didn't look at his prison walls, he looked up. He took his little picture, which was really not very great, and he picked his picture up and he went, here's my context, I will persevere. And in his flesh, in his day-to-day, everything was about God and not about him. Carrying on Jesus' legacy, Jesus completed the work of salvation, but Paul carried on his work here on earth, not afraid of troubles or afflictions, 
he faced them as a follower of Christ because Paul loved God and actually he loved the body, which is the church. Hmm. This, this is always a little bit of a challenge because the church is full of people. And people, in general, well, especially when you're an introvert, are quite irritating. Just they're just there, not because they're horrible or difficult, just because there's so many of them. Church, for an introvert, is hell. I'm going to tell you that now. I find church very difficult. Some weeks I find church really, really difficult. You walk through the door and go, oh, there are so many people. And it's not that I don't love you all individually. I just find you as a mass quite a lot. You're all very lovely, but extroverts find church brilliant. Extra church was designed by extroverts and for extroverts, not for introverts. Church on the internet possibly was designed by introverts, but is not a good way to go either. We just have to get over ourselves. A long while ago, I said to God, okay, God, I find church difficult. I need you to help me. I need to fall in love with the church. Help me. I need to fall in love with the church because I find this so hard. And he changed my heart. Because of these kind of scriptures, I know that I have to be a servant of the church I have to be a servant of the church because Jesus has served the church. If I want to be the image of God in this world, then I have to serve the church. I have to become its servant to do the little things, to serve food, to clean the toilets, and the large things, I don't know, but looking after the children, speaking to a stranger, offering a hand, praying, smiling. When I serve the church... I am God's child, and I grow. If you don't do anything, if you just come to church on a Sunday, which is fine, God doesn't have an accusing finger, if you just come to church, fine. If you come to church and you take part in something, if you help Coralie in Poppins, if you do youth work with Claire, if you join the most amazing people in the universe, the, the welcomers who just do amazing things that I can't do because I can't lift chairs. You know, I can't, they do the things that I can't. If you find the thing that you can do and you do it with a group of people, you grow. It's kind of strange, but it's the place in which Christ changed you. Sorry, I need to crack on. I have become a servant. God sends each one of us out, commissions us to present the world of the world, the life-changing world of word of God. This, I love this picture. The Bible is not unfriendly. The Bible is a wonderful, loving, glorious place that can change your life. We are alive in its fullness. We are captured by its mystery that has been hidden for generations and ages. And we are privileged to know and stand in the truth that's been told of and shown and experienced the wonders of God disclosed to his people. God has chosen to make known to the Gentiles, which is all of us who aren't Jews, the glorious riches of the mystery of Christ, which is 
Christ in you. So all of these things we've been talking about, the dude who created the universe, who holds things together, who created stuff, sustains stuff, the power of resurrection, is in you. The God who's before everything. So why on earth do we not live this way? Why do we forget? Why do do we take our eyes off the big picture and put them back on the little picture, our lives and circumstances? Christ is the hope of glory. This is the life I want to lead. I haven't got the picture of the life I do lead. This (laughs) is the life I want to lead. This journey we are on is amazing and we get to do it with an awesome God. The hope of glory who lives in our lives. All right. Okay, that's the end of the scripture. I would like us to pray. So, probably the band need to do their thing. I'd like you to stand with me. It's more difficult for me to stand than you, so. Awesome, thank you. If we want to dive into the, if we want to dive into this river, if we want to see God do these amazing things that we believe that he is promising to do, then we have to believe the truth about him. Yeah? We have to choose to believe that this scripture is true. We don't have to feel it, but we have to choose to believe. And I'd like us to pray together to believe and see it change us. Lord Jesus, that's what we want to do. We want to choose to believe in the truth of this scripture. Lord, we want to choose to let these words of life flow into us and give us life. Lord, we don't have to feel it. Nothing can stop it from being real or right or true. Lord, help us to hear that truth ringing in our head over the lies that our mind would tell us and the misconceptions that we have. Help us to grasp hold of it. Help us to grasp hold of the concept that you are the image of the invisible God. So we may be your image, your hands and your feet here on earth, serving your people wherever you send us. Lord Jesus, help us to hold our little pictures, our lives and our circumstances up to your hope, knowing that you are bigger and you are supreme over everything. You are the Lord of everything who lives and breathes in us and fills us with power from on high. Lord Jesus, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in each one of us here. Help us find a way to access that and live in your truth and not in the little truths of the day. Lord, I want to stand here and I want to recommit myself to you knowing that you are God 
in every way. Amen. Um, that's communion.